0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Spencer Lodge podcast in partnership with the awesome Najahi events. More about them later for most of the show, actually, because the special guest today is Orpha Mustafa, who's the CEO of Najahi, and she's got lots to talk to us about. So we're gonna get stuck in straight into it, but um, what I want you to do is pay attention to everything that Orpha says, because she's got some real gems of information that I think will be valuable for you. So listen up, take notes, and we'll go from there. Cue the music. My first question to you today is mm-hmm. how many people get your name wrong?
1: Everybody. Everybody gets my name wrong.
0: <laughs> your name is spelled A-W-F-A. Yes. Okay, I say Awfa, is that correct? No. How do you say it?
1: Awfa. 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 In Arabic, it means the most faithful. So Arabic people would relate to that because wafa is is faithful. Awfa means the most faithful. Like Ahmed is Awfa than Ali. احمد اوفه من احمد اوفه من علي
0: Oh, that's, that's a good sign though, isn't it? When I mean, you think about it, someone, you meet somebody, and like Steve, your husband, meet someone for the first time. What does your name mean? It means the most faithful. The it's most like, faithful. I like that right. one. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Steve had a hard time when we first met because he's American and he wrote my name in his phone. It's still written like this, O-H-F-A. So he remembers how to say it, F A. I still, until now, in his phone, when I call him, I'm like, Do I change it. It's said nope. That's how it's going to stay.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So you've been in the Middle East for a long time now. You're the CEO of a company that took the time to sponsor this show. And we've built up a great friendship over that time. So hopefully today's episode is going to be nice and easy for you. (sighs) uh, But as much as I love the camera, you don't. But that's quite interesting to me because you run an events business and it's all about people being on stage and presenting and sharing and teaching and bringing value. You know, you've had some (laughs) phenomenal people here, you know, Tony Robbins, uh, you know, uh, uh, Alicia Keys, Princey, uh, it goes on and on and on, these people. But the thought of you being on stage yourself.
1: Terrifying. (laughs) (laughs) I actually discussed this once with Jay Shetty. Okay. And he told me "Oh, it's okay, you are stronger at what you do. I don't know how you do what you do, running events like that. I can be on stage, I can create content, and that's what I'm good at. But you are good at what you do. I'm like, okay, so I don't have to go on stage. Said, no, 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 do not. <laughs> <laughs> Only if you want to. <laughs> at some point, I should.
0: And have you... So then how does someone get into a business like that in the first place? I mean, where does something like that even begin?
1: Oh, it's... Really, we want to go way back, or, well, or we shall we start ahead. with how it, <laughs> I think it's important honestly, that people understand. There's a, there's a lot in my, my background, my history that led to this. The short version is I loved learning all the time and I loved growing. And I had a friend in the UK and she invited me to my the very First event that opened my eyes to the whole world of personal development. It was a Tony Robbins event, 2015. And since then I went to the organizers and I said, I want to bring this to the Middle East, that's the short version. And then the first event happened in 2016 and Najahi started. And the long version goes back to like, how I grew up. What
0: what was your first event then? Then What did you do?
1: Um, Business Mastery.
0: So you brought that here?
1: I no, it's, it's funny that because on Business Mastery 2015, I was skeptical because I, I read books, and I, I, I'd always watch YouTube and, and like self-development and motivational and inspiring stories, um, but I didn't like Tony. Uh, Tony to me was, I mean, you know me, I'm a soft-spoken person, I rarely do you hear a bad word come out of me, and Tony uses the
0: Bro, The roar.
1: The F-bomb everywhere. <laughs> And 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 my friend told me let's just go and you'll have fun. Like, I don't know if he's my cup of tea, but okay, whatever. I booked a flight. I just had my my uh, jasmine, and I I you know eight months later I was ready to just have a week on my own. You know, just you know, a new mum. But I was I just left a job that I was obsessed about. I was working with IMAX director of projects there, and had a baby, and I just I felt. I didn't know who I was at that at some point because the career was everything and then now I just had nothing but to do but take care of baby, which I love. But she told me, just come and you'll have fun. It was just only five days and okay, booked business mastery, got on a flight, went to London, and and I s I attended Tony and there was a moment where I looked him in the eye. I was so excited about this whole thing. I, I we had a really eye contact, and he was looking at me. Um, I booked a good ticket. <laughs> and he's looking at me. And in my head, I, I said, Tony, one day I'm going to bring you to Dubai in 2015. And that was, and I, and I have my vision board, and I came back and I started Najahi, and I have a, a, a board, and I wrote, Tony Dubai. I was always there. And, and I that, did
0: it. And that was the start of it. That was the start so of then, it. And then the first event that you, you put on here, that must have been quite an undertaking if you hadn't done it before. Oh my
1: goodness. I was foolish, <laughs> you know, and Steve Jobs say, stay foolish, stay hungry. It was absolutely, there was no business plan. I had money. I had cash that I had made from Alex, you know, my indemnity, end of service, etc., And I just put it all in. All in. And was, I had no idea what I was doing. Um, I had partnership with Success Resources at then, and then I actually learned a lot from them. With all fairness, I did learn a lot, and then um, we just did it, and we were scared. Everybody was telling me, are you mad at doing something like Because people were not into self-development, right? People wouldn't, um... the way it works here, your organization would pay for your personal development or your career growth, you'd be in a training program that the training director would put for you, right? I was in Aramex. Corporates work like that. You have to attend the training to get that promotion and et cetera. So everybody was used to somebody else paying for them to learn. Now I'm telling them, you pay to learn. And my husband told me it's not going to work. i but go ahead, give it a try. I said, no, no, it will work. You'll see, you'll see. And it, honestly, we've had our ups and downs, but... We, a lot of people so, came.
0: So, to, to tell me about that first event. So, who was the speaker at the event?
1: It was Robert Kiyosaki, Robert Lady Kiyosaki. Michelle Mone, Ali Saloon, and
0: who else? <laughs> So, you had a, a number of speakers. Yeah. And how many people did, did you have at the event? How many? 4,000. 4,000. So, your first event was 4,000 4, people. 4,000, yeah. And where was it?
1: It was under the patronage of His Excellency, Sheikh Nahyan, as well, because he was very excited about it. It was at the festival arena. Okay. It was just open, the new festival arena in Festival City. So down City.
0: Festival City, you've got 4,000 people for the first event you've ever I done. I
1: have no idea how terrified I was.
0: And so you didn't, know, you didn't know anything about online marketing, really? You nothing. didn't know anything about how, how... So how did you sell nothing, these tickets? Nothing. Uh, very hard.
1: <laughs> um, we, we eventually understood how to market it and sell it. But because it was Robert Kiyosaki and the, the anchor of the event had an amazing book, and you know, a rich dad, poor dad. People knew it, and a lot of people were interested in the cash flow and the cash flow game, and it just became, there's a cash flow club here, and these people started spreading the word on our behalf, and it just snowballed just because it was rubber. Because I think if I bought somebody else, it wouldn't have been the. 4,000 people and the impact that it had. But because it was chosen the right anchor, somebody that the people in the UAE know and relate to, people that are into financial literacy and financial dependence know, it just snowballed.
0: Okay, (laughs) I I didn't know this about you. I I didn't know that the first event was 4,000 people. And Scary. (laughs) Working with you now for the time I've worked with you, the thought of that as your first event, talk about jumping in up DNA, I t- in
1: it up to your neck Totally, you know? totally. Did I did make not, my you, knee? Oh, no, of course
0: <laughs> not. Yeah, of course not. not. <laughs> but did you not think of starting small and going from there? Or did you... Did no. you not? At all? That wasn't even in your head? No. So that's quite an interesting concept when you think about the entrepreneurial mind. Yeah. Okay. It was the passion. It was, but is no is, that, is that what you're like in general normally in life? Are you kind of like an all-in type of person? I'm all-in.
1: I either love it completely and you just like jump and do it or... Not do it at all. It's either 100% or nothing at all. That's how I operate. In normal, everything, everything. My friendships, my relationships. I like you. Hmm, we become friends forever. If, if something breaks, I just cannot continue. It's just, I can't do the double face. <laughs> it's 100% wow. yeah So
0: I'm really interested now to find out. So you did your first event. You didn't make any money. What, what was your next event?
1: Success Summit.
0: And so how long after the first event was that? Six months. So six months after, <laughs> yes. okay. Same kind of theme as in with, with, with multi-speakers that This was... time
1: we brought Mary Buffett. Okay. An and then we, then we brought, then the, the one after us 2017 was with Jay Shetty for the first time and Princier and Jean-Pierre de Villard. And that was only for the youth. It was targeted, it was called Make Smart Cool. It was targeted to the university students and youth just to get them into the world of motivation and get them. um, I I figured, like, if we start early with the younger generation, in five years, these people will remember and come back to motivational events again and again and again.
0: Okay, let's just have a bit of a roll call here (laughs) of the kind of people you've had. So then fill the gaps for me. You've got Jay Shetty, you've got Prince EA, you've got... um, Uh, Malmary, you've had um, Tony Robbins uh, let me just go through the ones that I know Um, uh, 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 Alicia Keys, you've had Nick Boychich, Robert Kiyosaki um,
1: Lady Michelle Moan
0: Lady Michelle Moan who else, who are the other big names you've because there's so many people
1: yes, we've had other speakers that are I call them um, the unicorns or they are the real content people because the The thought leaders, like the Tonys of the world, they come and they give a really big picture. Then we'll work with um, the real people that will simplify it and make it steps that people can take home and implement immediately. So, so right you, say, so you the, take, I
0: don't know, you take a John Lee and he'll do the social media aspect. Totally, take a, because you. that's
1: what people want. At the yeah. end of the day, it's fun to be inspired and hear a, a high-level story, but if you go home and, uh, now what do I do with my life? Mm-hmm. So we add other speakers, like the John Lees of the world, and hi, John, <laughs> and and we put them with on the same stage to help people like learn something else and then ahead and implement it in their normal life. So for entrepreneurs, we've worked um, many, many um, topics, entrepreneurs, um, social media, like John does, financial literacy. Now we're very much into crypto and Bitcoin. Um, in fact, a lot of our audience have shifted into trading and crypto lately. And no matter what other topic we put out there, it's still crypto and 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 uh trading it's very Isn't interesting it funny, so after, even after, I got after, into it now <laughs> after working
0: with you for the period of time I have I I think that people on the whole want three things in life okay there's three things they want and if you can give them those three things then um then you're onto something so those three things are they want to get rich quick okay everybody that want I want to make a million dollars okay I want a million followers
1: Followers, yes.
0: Yeah, so I want a million dollars, I want a million followers, <laughs> and I want to lose weight fast.
1: That sounds like Okay, it.
0: and it seems to me that if you can provide that, yep. okay, or one of those things, then out there, the majority of the people in the planet want one of those three things. That is
1: true, but that's not, that's not real. That's what we try to tell people. You know, sitting in a session for two hours is not going to make you rich fast. Mm-hmm. And there's no such thing. You have to go through the process. Please go through this. Road. Don't go in foolishly. Learn, learn, learn. Educate yourself. And you'll see that gradually you will reach that target, but there's no such thing. You can't lose weight in a week. You'll gain it back. No. You'll lose everything the, the that Everybody, you've
0: everybody wants that, that solution. They want a quick solution. And what happens is really interesting when you analyze it is that people actually want the result. So it's like, you know, I don't know, um, I give you $100 and you're going to give me $110 back in 12 months time. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. Let me tell you what I'm going to do with it. I don't really care what you're going to do with it. As long as you give me the $110 back. It's like people want to get something, but they don't really care about the details. And that's why then it falls down. It's scary. Because if they have to execute themselves, they right. don't. The diet's the greatest example of that, isn't it? You know Everybody wants to lose 10 kilos or five kilos, yeah. but nobody wants to do the work.
1: No. No, no, but it's scary. That's why we try to you know Did you get where you are overnight now?
0: nobody does nobody
1: did nobody did. I started so really, really very, very humble beginnings and uh, it was it's was, it was, you know not an easy journey.
0: take me back to your past then let's 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 learn about you because we we don't. Knowing you as I know you, you kind of shy away from anything relating to you. You <laughs> talk about something else other than me, you know, and, uh, and you push it in another direction. But you, let's go, let's understand who you are as a human being. Okay. We know you as a CEO of a company that's successful, but who's this human being behind it? So take me back to your younger years. Obviously, you're from Iraq.
1: Yes, I was born in Baghdad.
0: So what was Baghdad like when you were born and when you were young? I don't
1: remember. I was, I was born in Baghdad and then my parents moved to London. When I was around four and a half. Okay. And then I finished, um, until middle school, I was in London, and that was the best part. I think, I, I have to say, my childhood in London was fantastic. I remember it fondly. That's why I don't remember Baghdad being a child, but I remember London. I loved it. I made the best friends. I was exposed to culture, art, and, and books. So that's where I started loving books and as a child, because, you know, we go in the subway in London, everybody's holding a book, they're reading at that time, now they're mm. on their phones. But that that time, my mum would sit on, on, on the subway and she's reading books. Or I'm reading a book. And that's how I learned to appreciate and love books. Okay. Um, and we went back to Baghdad. Um, how old were you? Um, I want to say 10, middle school. But you know why I don't remember it? Because I choose to block so many things out of my memory. It was horrible. Because I'm from um, from from London speaking English, and then I was put into a completely Arabic school. And I was it was a cultural shock for me, so I didn't adapt very well, I'll be honest. But, you know, family and cousins were there and just made it easier. I can't say it was that horrible, but it became really horrible when, um, After the Iranian-Iraqi war ended, Iraq was fantastic. It was its its boom. Baghdad was beautiful. Everything was there. And then boom, Saddam invades Kuwait. (laughs) And the sanctions come in and everything became horrible, absolutely horrible. And the regime became horrible. They saw a whole different side of a regime that became over-controlling and overpowering. And that was 1991. And I remember 1991, I was in uni at that time. And my dad, he's a journalist. I was raised by two amazing parents. My mom's a pharmacist and my dad is a journalist. Educated people, very, like their integrity is everything. And that's what they taught us. My dad wasn't very fond of this whole, let's invade our this thing. <laughs> And he's a journalist, and he was a very famous journalist. Um, and he was nominated to be the head of the journalists' association in, in Baghdad, which is a big deal. Like basically, the journalists will follow what he writes; they will follow about. And being the person, sorry, being the person that is not fully buying into this whole invasion, um, he it was very frowned upon. Him. And so one day, a day, Saddam Hussein just decided to put him on a stage, give people buckets of tomatoes, and they threw tomatoes at him. And they pulled him off the stage into a prison, into a dungeon, and tortured him until he lost his memory and could not talk at all. He couldn't write his name. I was in uni that day, and then I was kicked out, and I came home, everything was gone. They'd taken everything. (laughs) Can you imagine? (laughs) And bless his soul, it was, it was, my mom didn't know what to do. We didn't know what to do. We were very young and he was in there for quite a long time, every day tortured, every day, just because integrity, I guess. I still don't know the reasons. I honestly, I still ask my mom, why? Why? She said nobody knows.
0: Did he Did he write about the regime? Did not he... at
1: all, because he's smarter than to do that, but he didn't write, my guess is he didn't write for it. He just stayed in a neutral bias, didn't want to do anything, and he, in his head he probably knew what would happen if he did, but I still don't know why. And if you Google his name, his name is Lotfi al-Khayyad, this is his fame name. He has another name, but you know, the, his fame name is Lotfi al-Khayyad. You can Google it and it's written all over the newspapers and that the journalist outside Iraq started writing petitions to get him out, where he was still in there. And by the time he came out, it was a very long time. How long? But in and out. What they used to do. It used to be horrible. They torture him, throw him back in our house, and take him again, torture him again. In the duration of almost a year and something, it was in and out, in and out, in and out, to a point where he can't hold a pen, and he can't write his name, and he doesn't say a word. So the journalist would not be able to write a thing anymore. It was a lesson to they took the 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 icon of journalism, and then it was a lesson to everybody. Like if you dare not be with us. This is what we will do to you. And of course, we lived in fear forever because, you know, we were three girls. We don't have a brother or, I mean, our uncles were terrified and my mom was terrified and my mom um, being a pharmacist. She started opening little pharmacies or working for other people's pharmacies as well just to make ends meet. And then my I got an internship with the United Nations at that time also to help make ends meet. So this was my... By that time, I was last year of university, and then I actually got offered the job when I graduated. It was a very basic job. It was just a secretary for the United Nations. It was just a secretarial job. My dad was out of jail, but almost not, does not talk. He's in complete shock, cannot write, cannot read. And if he did write, he'd write, honestly, he was so, he's so sweet. He'd write a letter every day telling my mom, I love you, I'm sorry you live this, and uh, one day I will make it up to you. And the next day, he forgot he wrote it, and he'd write the same letter all over again. <laughs> every single day till he was not able to carry a pen anymore. He'd write this letter to my mom every single day. He's a sweetheart, he's a romantic. <laughs> so um, <laughs> so when, when um, I got the job, finally, it was nothing. It was $200 a month. Absolutely nothing. And the UN was very shocking to me because this was when the sanctions started. The oil for food deal, if you ever remember, there was sanctions on Iraq and they had the oil for food deal uh, controlling the oil reserves and the sales of oil um, for Iraq. And the UN came to monitor all of that and Iraq became a no-fly zone at that time, if you remember. I got a job with the Food and Agriculture Organization, which was in charge of the crops, like um, all the farmers and the crops and how the crops get distributed. Not only oil, how the crops get distributed. It was shocking to me because all these people that came from nowhere, British, American, I'm not only British American, all kinds of nationalities that I came in from, were paid $15,000 a month and the Iraqis are paid $200 a month from the oil money that comes from the Iraqi So, so, but you know, what, $300 converted to the Iraqi dinner was fantastic. I'm able to support my family and all was okay. And we were all, you know, everybody had an odd job here and an odd job there. Until the Iraqi people came back to me and they said, you know what, we want you to be a spy. I don't want to be a spy. A spy. So basically, I work in the UN, I become a spy and pass on all the secrets that I hear in the UN off to the Iraqi government. I don't want to be a spy. Okay, we'll throw you down in jail. They picked him up, threw him back in jail. So What do
0: I do? What did you do? I, I mean,
1: I, I, mean I, I played it smart. I started giving them little documents here and there that, you know, something that I would email them anyway in two weeks' time. I Just the draft of it that was going to go out in two weeks. Just keep it going until they asked me even more things to do and more things to do. And it reached a point where it became, you know, I'm trying to save my dad from going back to jail and getting tortured, but it became, I'm not even honoring him. If I do what they ask me to do, I can't go into details, but if I do what they ask me to do, I'd be dishonoring my entire family. And bear in mind I was 24 at that time. I was that young. I'd be doing everything that they told me not to do as a as a female, as a woman. as a...
0: And so, so you had to compromise yourself as a female? They wanted me they to. They wanted you to? Yeah. In order for your... Dad, not, not to, be, to tortured. be tortured. Yeah. What a horrible position to be in.
1: Twenty-four. I know. But, uh, so I, I, I didn't tell my mum. I didn't want to tell my mum. Honestly, till now, I don't think my mum knows this. If she watches this, she'll be crying. Um, I I went back and I had said, okay, what do I do? What do I do? Um, And so I have a friend uh, who lived in Jordan and she said, Ophi, you have nothing but to do but run away. You have to run away. You have to leave Iraq right now. So how? How? And so I came up with this plan and I told them, that's okay. I'll do what you tell me, but I can't do it in Baghdad. I'll go do it somewhere else. Jordan. Okay, fine. So at a time when nobody's allowed to leave the country, I got exemption to leave the country and go to Jordan because I was working on a job to get more information from, you know, as a spy, uh, I was led out, they gave me the exit and there were no flights then, you know, you drive from Baghdad to Trabil, Amman, and, uh, to Trabil and then to Amman. And, and I asked the HR at that time, said, I want to open a bank account. And Jordan gave me a letter saying I'm a United Nations employee and this is my salary. So she did. You know, I just wanted to open a bank account in Jordan. Remember, there are no banks in Baghdad. There is um, um, the sanctions. So all banks, when there's no banks, no travel, nothing. And for UN employees, a lot of them used to open bank accounts in Amman. So I told her, I want to do that since I'm going, let me open a bank account. And she said, okay, fine, give me a letter. Everything's legal. We reached at 5 a.m. in the morning after travel, and I told them, I just want to sleep today, let's do whatever you want to do tomorrow. And then I reached my room, they went to sleep. Now, of course, they were watching me, but everybody watching me went to sleep. And I walked from my hotel to the American embassy with my passport and saying I'm an employee, took that letter and I said, I'm a UN employee. I have a job to do in New York, give me a visa. And they gave me a visa. <laughs> they really did. I took a huge risk. I but they said, Yeah, okay, fine, come back at three o'clock and pick up your passport. I'm like, no. Oh. Can you imagine?
0: And yeah, I can't come back at three. I need it now. I need it
1: now. Where do I go at three? I even left my suitcases, so they think that I was just, yeah, you know, going. And they said, "No, come back at three o'clock." Mm. So from morning till three, I'm just walking around in the streets of Amman, not knowing where I am because there's no GPS, there's no phone. I'm just like making sure that I, you know I trace my my steps so I can go back and pick up find my passport, the again, yeah. find the embassy again. I have no, I don't have a car, I don't even have money. <laughs> they have all my money, they have everything. And so I went and, and um, I got my passport and um, my friend said, okay, your flight, unfortunately, is tomorrow at 8am, do whatever you can, but we'll leave tomorrow morning, it was to New York, JFK, she brought me JFK, came back, my bad luck. They say something big happened in Baghdad. We're all going back now. They put me in a car. <laughs> Go back.
0: So what did you do? What
1: did I do? I had American visa on my passport. If, I, if they see it, I, I'm I'm doomed. And I reached the border, and I luckily I had asked for um, per diem from the HR. So I had only hundred dollars. I put the hundred dollars in the passport at the border and I gave it to the guard there and I said, Whatever you do, take the hundred dollars, don't say anything, please. I said, Okay. He took it, stamped the entry and I was in. And I was in. And the whole driver and like, How do I get out again? <laughs> now I had a visa that I can leave the country within six months. And I and I eventually well, I started asking them, so when are we going to do the job? And <laughs> when are we going to go? They said, not yet. I'm like, okay, just let me know because, you know, let's get over there. I don't want my dad to go to jail. And I'm like, "When are we going to go? Because I had the clock ticking. That visa, I have an entry within six months. And finally, they said, okay, stack, let's go. I know agree. Let's go. But this time I was more prepared. I went, I kissed my mom, I kissed my dad. Still didn't tell my dad what was happening, but I gave him hugs. I took pictures. You know, I was more prepared, now I know. know. And rightfully so, we reached again, 5 a.m. in the morning. They went to sleep. I took my bag, got in a taxi to the airport to JFK.
0: And I was out. And what was it like getting on a plane and leaving? Oh, i
1: was very emotional. I cried. I cried the whole time. I cried because I knew what was going to happen. They wake up in the morning, they won't find me. And that's what happened. They woke up in the morning. They didn't find me. They looked everywhere. Then they called my family. My family does not know where I am. And then they dragged my dad back in jail, obviously, and, but didn't last. It was three days, three days. And my sister lives in New Jersey, so I went straight to New Jersey to my sister's house. And then after three days, he came out and he called me. And for the first time in six years, he has not spoken. This was 2008 when I left. And for the first time, he was talked and he said to me in Arabic, of course, you made me proud. You did the right thing. And I'll go to jail for you a thousand days. You made me proud. until now, I I remember that, and and then he he told me ne- never ever come back. As long as I'm alive, never put your foot back in Iraq. And I didn't. And I didn't. And then in two thousand and, and yeah.
0: take a break. Take a break. Have some water.
1: There's a happy ending, though. <laughs> I promised it's a happy ending.
0: So you're you know where your dad is, you know the situation he's in, you know you're on the other side of the world now. So you must feel horrible. Helpless and vulnerable helpless. And, and guilty. And guilty.
1: Guilty, Guil- guilt killed me. I couldn't enjoy it. like people say, oh, you you left, you're in an America. And you know what's funny? I actually got a job in the United Nations. I applied and they said, you have experience in Baghdad, you can start work here. So I had a job. The job offered me security. It offered me a green card, which then becomes an American citizenship. And I, I didn't want it. And then funny enough, the UN told me, okay, you need to leave the country and change your visa because I was in a B-1 visit visa. Now I had to get, convert it to a G-4 visa, which is a kind of visa mm-hmm. that you need for the United Nations. And they said, where do you want to go? Because you have to exit. And do you want to go to Canada nearby or do you want to go where? I said, Jordan. Why Jordan? And I said, because I was really hoping in my silly head that maybe my dad can cross the borders and I see him and you know, yeah. everything becomes rosy and my guilt goes away. Um, so they booked me to Jordan and I took the flight willingly, very happy, excited. Again, thinking that I'd see him and see my mum, my poor mum. I mean, she suffered so much because of this as well. And um, I got to to Jordan. I was booked in a hotel for two weeks, ideally just to do the visa thing. And I got to the embassy and they said, absolutely not. This is going to take six to to eight weeks. I'm like, what? I said, yep. Now I was only paid for two weeks in a hotel. What am I going to (laughs) do? I figured it out, I moved out of the hotel. I started, uh, I, I found an internet cafe at that time, there's internet cafes, yeah. right? And I made a deal with this guy, I even, I, I'd use his, uh, one of his computers and the university students would come and my English is great, I'm a computer science graduate, I do the graduation projects for them and split profit and I I, I was fine. I got a job and I teach uh, kids or babysit kids and make ends meet. I had mm-hmm. I had eight weeks to go. I guess what by the end of eight weeks, I really enjoyed my time in Jordan. I thought I can. It's great. I can do this. You know, I made friends. I made a, a living. Um, I was very excited about it. The, I mean, New York was scary for me because I'm from Baghdad and I go straight to New York. This is a culture I can relate to and people I can talk to. So the American embassy calls me and says, your visa is ready. I said, I don't want it anymore. They're like, what? You're not going back? You have a G4 visa? You're not going back to America anymore? I'm like, no. And I, everybody called me stupid. Like, what are you doing? You're letting go of a, of America, a passport, being an Iraqi with wars. I said, you know, I have a better chance of seeing my family here than there. I was absolutely miserable there, but being close could make me, you know, there is a possibility that one day they would cross the border and I see them. Little did I know that I was blacklisted and I had execution on me. Eventually I found out if I went back to Baghdad, I'd be executed for treason, <laughs> for treason. And that's why my dad told me, which I did not, never come back to Baghdad as long as we are alive, never come back. And and then I found out one of my friends came from Baghdad and said, Ophir, you really need to go back because this is so dangerous. So they can come and look for you in Jordan and take you back. And with all the risk, I didn't. I said, you know what? If it happens, it happens. It's God's will. But I'm going to stay as close as possible and do as much as possible to be able to provide for them because they had no income either. So I was working and sending with my friends who can come to... It was very hard to send money from New York to Baghdad. Uh-huh. From Jordan, people drive, and, and that was for me, okay, I'll take it. I'll stay low key, but my visa in Jordan was coming to an end. It was a visit visa, six months, an hour, and so there's an opening with Aramex, And this is where I started learning how to become a leader from this moment on. There was an opening in Aramex, a very junior website content manager. Not even in my field, I did, I, I, I did the Arabic website for the United, I did websites, but I applied for it and a lady called Nihat Hadris, still my friend, she was the HR manager there, she called me in for an interview and she said, you fit the job, we're giving you the job. Next day, my residency expires, this is how to the edge I live, at <laughs> the very edge.
0: <laughs> wow. I know,
1: next day I'd be like illegal alien in Jordan. And so I told her, by the way, the next day I'm in Iliad, we have to work fast, quickly. Uh, but then I then told her, who, who owns this Aramex? <laughs> and she said, a guy called Fadi Randour owns the Aramex. Can I meet him? She laughed. She said, You enter, you're going through an entry junior. And I told her, You know, I need to meet him because I need to, A, I need to know who I'm working for. And B, he needs to know who's working for him. She laughed. She said, You know, I'm going to call Fadi. And I'm gonna tell him there's this person that does not want, to, I told her I won't start until I meet him. she's laughing. She calls Fadi up and says, Fadi, there's a girl we just interviewed. She's perfect for the job, but she says she won't start until you meet her. <laughs> Fadi thought this was so much fun. And off I went upstairs, big boardroom. I've never seen a meeting room in my life. <laughs> <Back then. laughs> never seen a big meeting room in my life. I went in, I'm like, what did I do? <laughs> Just get me out of here. And he walks in and he says, they tell me you won't work for me until you meet me. <laughs> am I good enough? <laughs> I bet you Fadi doesn't remember this, but I do very well. And And then at that time, I told him that there's a reason. I am being chased by the Iraqi authority. And you need to know this before I work for you. I don't want to harm you. If this is a problem, I will go away now. And I told him a bit of my story. And he, he did amazing things for me. He, he was very close to the king. And then he put me as his personal secretary on my residency and gave me immunity. They couldn't touch me. And he went and told all Aramaic branches we do not have an Ofa there. My name is not Ofa Mustafa, by the way. My grandfather's name is Ofa Mustafa. And my name is Ofa Muhammad Abdulatif al Hashimi. But I, ha- I changed it since then to get away from things, sorry. And so he said, everybody that asks for this name or this name or this name, whichever pattern it is, does not work for Arabic. So he predicted me. And I gave it all my all. And he moved me from marketing to IT. And he was, he was my inspiration. Fadi has always been, I don't know anybody that would have done this for me. Give me a residency, when my resident, give me the immunity. Make sure that people call. And then when they did come, he'd tell me, go away, go work from home. There's no internet anyway, but just go, go. Uh, and he's he's a phenomenal human being. Uh, and I owe so much to him, my safety. And and he kept on, and I worked so hard for him. Like now, you know, you have somebody that has your back. You don't work for a salary, you mm-hmm. work to honor them. I worked to honor him and I made sure that I don't go home until it's not 100% done, 200% done to perfection the job that I was given.
0: So... Amazing person. Do your hair. So tell me, you've got this feeling of relief and safety and security, which is an unusual feeling after so long without it. Then, then what happens?
1: Then, see, there's always a happy ending, right? Then the Virgin collapsed in 2003 and then I was able to... I went to Fadi. Do, do, do. I need to go back to Baghdad and he's like, yeah, go see your family. Took a few days off. But crazy me this is what I would do. There's still no flights. Took a car and drove. I bought Thorea phones. Remember, remember the Thorea phones? You probably don't. The,
0: the, the Thorea, um satellite phones? Satellite phones, because yes, yes, there's yes. no phones. There, okay. you know, there's
1: no infrastructure there. So I buy Thorea phones and SIM cards and Get a car and cross, go to the borders, and the guy on the borders is like, "Are you crazy? You're driving at that time." Remember, there was al Qaeda booming, and there was in Fallujah. You have to pass Fallujah to get to Baghdad from Amman. You have to pass, and he's like, "You're crazy. From here, you have al Qaeda. From here, you have the Americans." I'm like, yeah, "Okay, I've got nothing to lose, Spence. Let's see your family. I, I, haven't, I want to." Make sure that guilt in me. I want to make sure that I want to see this. My mom and my dad. I'm like, okay. He said, okay, whatever you do, if your car breaks down on the road in Fallujah, switch the car off. Don't even light, light a cigarette. I don't smoke. Don't even light a cigarette. Right. And then pray to God the Americans come first. <laughs> this is his words the Iraqi soldier, the Iraqi person on the border, and pray to God the Americans come first. Because then you'll become a sex slave. Okay.
0: Pray they come first because otherwise you'd be a sex slave. Yeah. Of course. So, okay, yeah.
1: And what happens? The car breaks down. Of course. <laughs> it's like God had told me this message because this is what's going to happen. Uh, so yeah. it's the
0: middle of the day, the middle of the night. At night. So, you're in the middle of the night and your car breaks down? At night.
1: On, in Fallujah.
0: How far? Just give me some perspective. From, from Amman in Jordan so to Fallujah to Baghdad.
1: So, from Amman to Trebil, Trebil is the border, you'd have, an, uh, I think, an eight-hour to nine-hour drive. Yeah. But that's okay, you're in Amman. And then from Trebil to Baghdad, is another eight to nine hours, depending how fast you go. So, okay. it's almost totally 16 hours of, of driving. So I had my food and everything, but little did I know. And yeah, the car broke down. This cannot happen. (laughs) Longest night
0: of my life. So you're sat in the car in the middle of the night on your own, in the middle of nowhere? Hoping, hoping
1: that the Americans come because this guy told me, pray for the Americans. Oh, dear God, the Americans. (laughs) And I wasn't fond of the Americans, you know, at that time, my, my city had just collapsed. There's American soldiers in my country. I, I, emotionally, I'm torn because this is my country. I, I'm heartbroken. As much as I hated the Iraqi regime, I did not want to be under another occupation. Um, so from a patriotic perspective, I was torn But yeah, if, if, if I don't become a sex slave, I'd take the Americans. And the Americans came. The Marines next morning, they were like this in the car. What Are you doing going to see my dad? He's like, What? <laughs> <laughs>
0: the, so the, He's like, What? So the marines are literally they're, they're, their guns are pointing at you. You're saying, Are you sleeping in the car? No, who sleeps? You, you sleep, you're <laughs> just <laughs> wide awake. And so they turn up and they're like, What are you doing? They
1: search the car front and back everywhere, and they, just, they, they saw the three of us. Yeah, like, I'm taking it to my family. And they're like, You're real. <laughs> I hear them on the radio. It's just the girl wants to go to Baghdad. they like, really? <laughs> All right. So they told my car to Baghdad and took me to my parents' house. Of course, my, uh, my family house, the big house was gone. They lived in a tiny apartment somewhere. My mom opens the door and sees two Marines and me. I? She, there's no way I could tell her I'm coming. There's no emails, there's no telephones. She did not expect me to come. She didn't know I'm there. Right?
0: So you bang on she the door. She opens
1: the door, ding, 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 opens the door, me, with two Americans. She thought I got arrested or something. She almost died the moment. I had to hug her and calm her down. I said, it's okay, this is what happened. Then I saw my dad. It was it was, it was disastrous that had happened to him. He was um, at 30, 40 kilos maximum, barely speaks. He just sits on the chair, almost dead. And my mom told me we can't afford anything for his um, medical... And there was nothing. I mean, there are no hospitals. Everything was bombed and destroyed. So I decided I need to go back to Jordan and then get them out in any way. I go to my marine friends and I say, is my car? They say, what car? <laughs> There's no car. The car can't go back. And so, honestly, would were some phone calls, and they made phone calls, and a friend of mine made the phone call, and the Marines flew me back to uh, to Jordan. Wow. Yeah. So I had another perspective towards the Americans.
0: Because they'd helped you.
1: When I married Steve. Then yeah. I had a completely different perspective. It was like, yes, they're invading my country. You know what? The Saddam regime was not going to fly me back in an airplane and put me, make sure I'm safe. <laughs> it's not going to happen. Uh-huh. They're the ones that, that put me in this situation in the first place. Completely torn. I had, I didn't know what to think or, or whose side to take. The only thing I was focused on is how to get them out and get medical treatment for my dad. I went back to my friend Fadi and <laughs> said, I need to get my family out. Amman was not giving releases or residencies to Iraqis, so I moved to Dubai. At that time, Dubai... I moved to RMX, Dubai, and I brought my family in 2004. That's a happy story.
0: So you brought all of your family here? Yeah. And how, and how did you meet Steve?
1: Oh, that was later, 2012 I met Steve. Okay. My dad, my I stayed, my mom and dad stayed with me. I moved my other sister also to Dubai. We all made Dubai home. The safest he's, he'd ever been in the past 15 years was then. Um... In 2007, unfortunately, he passed away. He couldn't survive it. He's buried here in the UAE in Sharjah. At that time, I moved everybody to Sharjah because the uh, rent was high. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I remember I had my salary was eight thousand to fifteen thousand dirhams only. With the medical bills, I was up to my ears with loans and credit yeah. card maxed, and yeah. not luxury things, just paying it's just life. Life, and. Um, I, 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 he passed and I remember the day he passed, I was so sad, but so relieved because he's, he's, it's over. He was in so much pain at some point, it was like, go to bed. And he passed away in my arms. So, oh, it really, I, I hugged him and he passed away in my arms in, in the Kuwaiti hospital in Sharjah. And so my, 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 my guilt is completely gone. I did everything I can everything I can to make sure you're okay. Now, when he passed all of Aramex, and I I love people in Aramex because all of Aramex stopped work and they all walked out in his funeral. It was like a parade. He knew no one here. He had no friends, so who would go to his funeral? All of Aramex, all my friends. I appreciate them so much. Now, he passed away on my birthday. Oh, my birthday. That's why I never celebrate my birthday. I just, it's me and my dad's connection. We buried him. And in the year 2000, I had applied my papers to Canada, and I just threw them there, and I said, you know, whatever happens, happens. Seven years later, that passes away in July, in June, uh, sorry, in June, that passes away. July, I Canadian embassy calls me and says, your papers already come, it's as if your journey, it's now move on. You've, you did it. You finished. That is in heaven. Now you move on. And I had loans over my head, but little did I know that instead of giving us bonuses, Fadi would take give us stock. And then when I left, I converted the stock into money and it paid everything and I was loan free. Wow. Amazing, right? And then the rest is history, really. I, I worked hard in Canada. I also, like, studied and came back, got a job. Mum was with my sister. My sister is a gynecologist, and I met Steve. And, and I, I... And uh, yeah, life just changed. It's, it's crazy. You go from all that's, of that to this and that.
0: That's, that's, alhamdulillah. that's phenomenal. So where I'm trying to think about when it comes to your business where where you get your strength but because of because of what you've been through and the challenges you face a lot, there's a,
1: nothing is scary
0: yeah nothing is scary nothing is scary you know what it reminds me of <clears throat> in a much much more watered down way in my life but when i was a kid i lived in nigeria and as an adult i had the opportunity to go and work in many different countries and people would say it's really dangerous in Brazil. Are you sure you want to go there? And I was like, I lived in Nigeria.
1: <laughs> <laughs> what so, else could happen? <laughs> like, Noth-
0: there's nothing. Gonna- nothing's going to be worse than Nigeria, you know, in my mind. Oh, so, could so, my brain was conditioned to understand that. Hey, there's nowhere worse than Nigeria. Absolutely. And it's almost like the, the 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 similarity is the fact that because of what you've been through, the challenge of you know when we first spoke about the the four thousand people that that for most people would be too daunting and overwhelming to even consider, let alone try for. But for you, not. And there's a couple of other examples I've got that are very similar to this, I think. You know Wim Hof? Yes. The Iceman, yeah? Yes, yes. So Wim Hof has got four kids. He was happily married. And he, his wife was the love of his life. And one day she started to get depressed and a bit sad. And a while later she kissed the kids goodnight, and she jumped off the balcony and took her own life, all four kids, and she, she died. And he explains the pain that he went through from losing her. And this pain wouldn't go away. It, it couldn't get rid of this pain. It was just, it was almost like torture because it lost her, because it couldn't save her. And then one day there was a, uh, he was staying in a hotel, there was an ice lake, and there was a thin layer of ice on this lake. And he went out and he just jumped in the lake. <laughs> And when he jumped in the lake, the ice cold water took his pain away. Oh, wow. And he said, and I felt no pain. And so the next day he went back to the lake and jumped in it again, and the pain went away. And since then, he's obviously climbed Everest in a pair of shorts and t-shirts. He sits in boxes of ice and all so crazy stuff how- like that. Mm-hmm. And what's happened is it's the wiring in his brain because the snow and the ice and the cold equals a release from the torture. Okay. Um, Maria Concier Sal, who, who you know, okay, with the girls, for her, when she went to the sums of Bangladesh into Dakar and saw those kids, when you asked Maria to, to describe climbing Everest, she'd never done any sports at all in her life. She Googled how to raise money for charity. And on the back of that, the first thing that came up was climb Everest. Now, she climbs the biggest mountain in the world, and she describes it like, well, I need to do this to help the kids. Oh. Whereas most other people are like,
1: the I undertaking do. on its
0: own is, is massive. Right. So you There's take her story, you take Wim's story, you take your story, and what, it's almost like a, a, a wiring, that, a changes the structure of your brain, where we don't acknowledge what other people would acknowledge. You know, my simple one, Nigeria's nothing scary after Nigeria. That's mm-hmm. just... You can't frighten right. me now. Right. Okay. I'm, I've never been anywhere. I've, I've traveled all right. over the world. I've never been anywhere that I've gone. No. No.
1: What, what could happen?
0: Yeah, exactly what, could, what happen. could happen. And I think what about a and, and this comes back down to entrepreneurship as well because you started running an events business and went for an event with four thousand people, which is nuts. <laughs> it's genuinely nuts. Everything for I do is nuts. The ninety nine point <laughs> nine nine percent of the people, if they don't know your story. Yeah, yeah. And when they know your story, this isn't nuts. And this
1: I've is. never told my story. This is the first time, Spencer. So nobody, everybody thinks I'm just a crazy, spoiled person that has money and just wants to be famous. And you know me, I never go in front of a camera. It's never been about fame. It's always been about, I love growing. I love growth. I love learning. And I, I want to make it accessible, really. I, I genuinely do want to make options and, and, and learning accessible, something that I never had and had to seek. It's there. It's there. But you show people that it's there. That's my job. That's how think, I say my job is.
0: Do you, you, know, you, know, you know, I don't know. You take t- take a Tony Robbins event. Business Mastery is a great example. Okay. We, we, we spend four or five days at an event. Freezing. Okay? Freezing cold, <laughs> being fed soup, you know. Exactly. I, I've done it Freezing. twice. I did it in the Excel Center in London. I did it in Las Vegas as well. It was just as cold in Las Vegas in the middle of summer. Tell me about it. But it's overwhelming, although it breaks it down and there's other people there, it's overwhelming for some people to literally execute upon. It's too big. It, it's too much, I think, for some people, because a lot of people go away that obviously want to create success, but, but it's overwhelming. And when you, think about, when you think about people that go out and achieve things, it's, they position it in their brain differently. It, it's literally, and you know, you hear people talk it's about it's like a light
1: bulb moment. Yeah, not I, everybody is it gets a light that. bulb,
0: or is it a kind of maybe it is, but it's like it's not overwhelming.
1: No, because look, nothing happens overnight. We're in, on earth, and I believe that completely. You, everything that leads to that moment is preparing you, you are prepared. Not everybody's prepared at the same time. We all have different paths. So I'm at a Tony Robbins event. I've gone through this. Now I'm prepared. Somebody sitting next to me is still on the journey. He'd be at the same event, but he's not prepared yet. He will be another time. But we're all going through in different paths. Successful people are not successful or making money today. They've been working all their life, getting ready, to be a, to, to be successful, they've they've met so many different people. They they know the what's right and what's wrong. They know the lies from the the cons from the in, in the genuine ones. But when they start operating, they are ready. They've prepared. Even Oprah Winfrey says that life prepares you. When that moment happens, it's not because you're lucky. Not because the universe gave it to you and put it on a plate. You're not lucky. You've been prepared to do this, and there's endlessly an, another purpose for it. It's not about you. It's probably about the people that you will hire, and and they have the jobs and their families are, are, are well, and schools are okay. Or there's another jigsaw puzzle somewhere. But it's not, not lucky. I, there's luck. Yes, there is luck. I'm lucky. I, I, God bless. I I didn't get COVID this year. I was also careful. You know. It's. You know, but I'm also lucky. No, I've been prepared all my life. I've been preparing for it all my life. Yeah, I didn't, s- you never quit,
0: you know. Some of the preparation is not done consciously. No, no. Some of the preparation is subconscious. to you, yeah. yeah.
1: But th- th- what's conscious is not quitting. Mm-hmm. What's conscious is I could have quit any day. Did what this woman did, uh, the Iceman's wife and, and jumped off a balcony and said, I can't do this anymore right? Any, any moment I could have done that. But I chose not to, because I chose to forgive, but not to forget. I chose to be grateful. I chose to appreciate every single thing. And I chose to believe that there is a happy ending. And I, and I chose that happy ending for myself. So I prepared myself to, to that. Everything I did in life was on a date. Honestly, I work on dates. This on this date, this is what's going to happen. This date, this is what's going to happen. When I went to Canada, Canada requires you to live three, three years, 1976 uh, 97 days. I had that circle on my calendar. This is my target. I will not miss a day. I was going to be Canadian because I can't live with the Iraqi passport. My livelihood, my mom's livelihood, and everybody depends on this. Uh, it's choice, determination.
0: Not luck. And non-negotiables. non negotiable You won't negotiate with certain things. No. Yeah. I standards.
1: These are my standards. My standard of life today is a choice I made. Everything I am living in today is a choice I made. I knew I, I, I made 8,000 dirhams a month in supporting a family, but it's okay. It's okay. No, but I'm, I'm not in a hurry, but I knew one day I'd live the standard that I want to live, doing what I want, the life I choose non-negotiable. All from books by the way. I've read a lot. The journey was my I was very antisocial because who do I talk to? <laughs> I don't know who's a are friend and anti-social, who's
0: not. Or are you shy? I think you're shy. At the very
1: beginning I was antisocial. So my social skills because I was hiding a lot from I didn't know who's my friend. I didn't know who to talk to. Who can I trust and not, not go back to jail and get you know Who do I trust? So I became very um much alone in my own life. And that led to me losing a lot of my social skills. Cause the world evolved and the jokes changed and <laughs> and I'm still <laughs> hiding in my own that little life with my books and stuff. So when I popped out, it was like um oh, integrating again with 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 humanity, <laughs> with people. Um so again I found motivational events. Um at my happy place because everybody was like minded, I can speak to them about something and we can cheer and high five and be happy. And it did not involve partying, drinking, alcohol, and smoking, did not involve nightclubs, which people think is where you get your buzz and your happiness. Your buzz and your happiness is actually being with like minded people in an event.
0: Okay, that's why I miss
1: live events, I miss them so much.
0: Yes, <laughs> yeah, me too. Uh-huh. Okay, thank you for sharing that with me. That's really, really. I'm I'm honoured that you would do that. Genuinely, I am. It my means friends. a lot that you would you would share that with me. I Let's, know. if we can, can can we maybe talk about what's going on in your in your professional world now? Because people know you for Najahi, but for those that are listening that don't know, and if you listen to my podcast and you don't know what Najahi means now, <laughs> then, <laughs> then shame on you. But um, <laughs> obviously, my success is Arabic for Najahi. Now, IQ. This is uh, essentially a new business that's a kind of a metamorphosis from one business to another, in my interpretation. Can you can you explain what you're doing and how you're doing it and why?
1: Well, when COVID hit, obviously live events went on a standstill, and I, I, I got my team together. and Honestly, at my team and this speakers and everybody that is in our world, we sat down and said, guys, we're not going to make the same money that we used to make before. I mean, we have payments to people. We had to talk to our friends and say, guys, guys, can we distribute our payments on a longer term and, and et cetera. It's a company that was running and then suddenly stops. And it was a communication that I had to have with the team, with the, all the stakeholders involved in making Najahi. And and we decided that we can either shut this company and wait till miraculously come. But what, what happened then? It's people that work with me, have been with me forever. My family, they'd lose their incomes. Their families would lose their incomes. So I put them together and I said, look, we're going to have to shift gears. We're going to have to go virtual online completely. And whatever money comes is for you. I have not taken a salary in years from the Najahi. But whatever money comes is to pay your salaries. And I assure you, you work hard with me. We will not have salary cuts. Nobody will be made redundant until today. Nobody's fired. Not a single salary has been deducted. Negotiations have happened with everybody on payment terms, on payment schedules, but it's business, but we kept floating. And so I shifted everything from live events to virtual. The entire calendar that was supposed to be live went virtual, but that wasn't enough because you can't sell the same price for a virtual event than a live event. So we had to multiply the volume. And so today we do between 20 to 28 webinars slash events a month,
0: a month. Almost one a day.
1: Almost one a day. I mean, it reached a point where four team didn't have a weekend. And I had to tell them, guys, I can't help that because some people attend weekends and some people attend, and well, we need the income. Every little bit counts. And they, they they bought it in. And I had their buy-in, and we all work together every single day of the week. Then we came up with this concept of, let's ask the content people, I call them thought leaders and content creators, to go to their studios and record. And then on a the membership, a subscription base, make it accessible. And it worked. It was tiny just for our database, but it worked. It was called Najahi Tribe then. And then I said, if it's working at this small scale, why don't we take it bigger? and see where it takes us. So I've rebranded it and I'm making it now IQ.
0: And that's for I-K-E-W.
1: I-K-E-W. Information Knowledge Education Workshops. You hear it as IQ, but it's it's I-K-E-W. Information Knowledge Education education Workshops. workshops.
0: Okay, I get it now.
1: So, version one is coming out next week, and I'm really excited about it. So,
0: so this is basically a place that people can go. They can pay a, a monthly subscription, right? And they can get access to the teachings of many different.
1: Yes, not uh, only that, they can watch all the recordings of every single Najahi event. So, you, if you are a Najahi uh, in a my database, you've attended an event, you can watch it all live stream.
0: On so this everything, platform. everything that's taken place, plus everything that goes forward. Everything that
1: goes forward. Also, we're making deals with um, companies, event companies in Europe and et cetera. We're buying their events from them. And we're putting them. So if you can't go to the Netherlands to attend something in the Netherlands, you'll find it on IQ. Okay. Part of your subscription.
0: And part of the subscription includes the live events as they happen?
1: As they happen. If okay. you come, if you're in Dubai, you come and you have a subscription, you get 50% off any ticket category. So future events that I have for Najahi, you come in, you get 50% of any ticket category because you're a member okay. of this. So We're trying to create a community of people that learn, but also provide it to them anytime. It's like the Netflix for learning. Binge, binge watch, no, binge learn. I want people to binge learn. You know, you okay, let me play devil's advocate here mm. for a second. Mm.
0: When Corona started, we all went a little bit Zoom crazy. Mm. Yeah. And then we got a little bit Zoom tired. Um, It it happened for me within the space of three weeks. I was looking after people in South Africa, in Germany, in Holland, in Switzerland, companies that I never expected to be dealing with. And I was super excited about it. I'm like, this is amazing. I don't need to leave home. Fantastic. But two months in, I was like, my life is on Zoom. Yeah. And I wasn't so excited about that. Yeah. So then you also hear people talking about kind of like that whole online learning being something that you can just you can tolerate so much Yep. so how do you how do you
1: balance that balance that out it, we we put the same program probably multiple times a um, a month recordings of it so if you zoomed out right now you can if you still interested So i can in go topic, back in and
0: watch it again and, you again, can and watch again. It again and again, well, and that's again. Really important, you know?
1: whenever you want so it's not like you're going to miss this opportunity right now. You're zoomed out today. That's fine. We're all getting
0: that we're Can I listen to it. On audio on my phone?
1: Coming soon, it's going to be an app that you download on your TV like Netflix okay. and it'll be an app on your phone. But that's, so there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of projects in the pipeline that are coming up including translation in five languages. We're also talking to content um, creators from India and Italy and I don't want it to be only English, you know. Cool. So you'll see like Mind Valley there and, and Masterclass, English, 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 English. And when I've been talking to a lot of people there, they're Hispanic. I have a lot of Hispanic friends. So we don't watch this because half the time we don't understand it. We need, and I asked them, Are there Hispanic motivational speakers? They say, Yes, we follow them. And here they are. I
0: thought, like, oh, okay.
1: Next is to get the Hispanics and the Indians and the Italians in their mother tongue, but then we'll subtitle in any language. So we want to translate to five languages, English, Arabic, French, uh, German, Spanish. These are the languages I'm targeting.
0: So what kind of support and assistance do you need with your business going forward? (laughs)
1: Financials. (laughs) So IQ is as a product of Najahi right now. So as Najahi, we have built it. So instead of going to angel funds or angel investors, we went and we became the you angel. financed it
0: yourself.
1: We financed it part of Najahi. It's still a product of Najahi. What I'm looking for forward to the coming months is I'll be in putting this out there. There's a whole business plan with numbers uh, to raise funds almost 2.6 to $2.8 million for phase two. And there's a whole plan of what will happen with that money and then A series B will come later and we're hoping to raise around 15 million with a valuation. Of course, we'll do the valuation. So whoever's interested, I'm very happy to share the business plan with. It's a very well thought of business plan. To the penny, we know what we're spending and where.
0: So you know what your run rate is? You know how to make money out of it.
1: The reason why is I have all this content. I have the contacts. I have the know-how. I know the motivational world. And The motivational world respects us. And honestly speaking, when we shifted to virtual, ask uh, yesterday I was on a phone call with a company, um, another company like Najah, but they were based out of Russia. They went out of business. They could not shift during COVID from um, live events to virtual. Really? They couldn't. They did. They 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 couldn't break even, or even make any money at the end of the month. Here I am almost, what well, we are 40 months later since COVID started, but we were, and why? It was brand trust, it's trust. Our database, we sent out an email saying we can't do the live, but here's what we're going to do. We're going to put them virtual for you, and the price is less, and it's trust. And every time I throw something out there, people, receive it and if there's a complaint we deal with it no if you're not happy you're not happy it's fine but we deal with it we don't ignore people we deal with it we fix the problem and that creates trust and i believe in the middle east we've created a brand that people like and trust and appreciate i am grateful for my team and for that really And I wait for for everybody that sends me messages and says, what are you going to do next? Okay, here's what we're going to do next. And I hope they come to IQ and it will be something that they will appreciate and love. And I know it's going to be a journey. It's not perfect from day one, but the end result is going to be phenomenal and fantastic. And that's what I'm betting on. And like I'm crazy, I go all the way. (laughs) No, no, No no midway, all the way.
0: (laughs) This has been a really heartwarming and enjoyable story to listen to. Likewise. So the, the, there seems to be a relentlessness to you, which I, I deeply admire. Thank you. So, Thank, you so, thank you, you so much for coming to join us on the show today. It's been really great having you and it's thank been really so great, been great learning. And I hope everybody's been able to take some, some real positives from this experience. Thank you. Stay safe. Sometimes we learn about people's stories and a lot of the time, maybe we don't take the time to sit and understand what's going on in people's lives, what they've been through to get where they are today. And this episode was a great example of that. Hopefully you've enjoyed this episode of the podcast. If you're listening to it on iTunes, then leave us a five-star rating because it helps us. And if you're listening to it on any other podcast channel, then if that's, a don't know, a Spotify, a SoundCloud, anything like that, then leave us some positive comments because the more feedback we get, more people will hear about this and then more people will get to benefit in the same way that you did today. I'll catch you on the next episode.